This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to The Blank Podcast, the podcast where we delve into those difficult moments with some well-known guests. I'm Giles Prady-Phillips, and with me today is Jim Daly. Hello, hello, hello. How are we doing? I'm all right. How are you? Uh, I'm okay. Yeah, not too bad. The sun is shining today, uh, which is nice, and I'm feeling pretty good, actually. That sounds like the start of the lyrics to the start of a, a nice Motown song. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. The, the sun, sun is, is shining, shining and I'm feeling good. And I'm feeling all, all right. I didn't I'm feeling all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling, feeling all right. right. It's more of a British version. but uh, yeah, I'm feeling okay. I'm feeling all right. Um, <laughs> yeah. no, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling I'm above pre- average or I'm just below average. I'm feeling fine. Um, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm, I'm cracking on. Cracking, I'm cracking on, cracking yes. on. Not is cracking that how, up. Is that, is that cracking how you... <laughs> on. No, or cracking down. Which, which one? Which one's which? Up or down? Both. Neither good, really. But um, yeah, I'm doing okay. How are you? How, how are you? Are you cracking on as well? I'm cracking on. Yeah, yeah. Was cracking up, but now cracking on. <laughs> I think, to be um, honest, in current circumstances, cracking on is probably uh, not the best we can hope for. But I think you know we're living through weird times. So if, we are. If, you, if we you're are. cracking on, you're doing well. I think you are. I think you are. I think you're right, Jim. Um, yeah, cracking on and. Um, Cracking up of laughter at today's oh, pod. Very good. <laughs> very good. I say very good. <laughs> no, Fine. No. Fine. Below average um, segue <laughs> into today's podcast. Um, yeah, because we've got Angela Scanlon on today, who is a lovely, lovely person and very, very funny as well, actually. I was laughing quite a lot in this podcast. Very lovely. Very funny. Uh, very thoughtful. She's a very thoughtful person and uh, very, in- very interesting. Um, and yeah, we cover a lot of ground in this pod. Mm. She's f- I'm very open. She's very open yes. and honest about 
uh, her life and things that have gone well, things that haven't gone as well. And th- there's a lot of uh, almost teachings. A lot of t- there's a lot there's a lot of quotable moments I would say in this podcast. Yeah, well, and I, and I know we say it a lot, but um, as this is therapy sessions for us, but it did feel like a therapy session a little bit for all of us today. Um, certainly, you know, we dug into some very very difficult and deep moments for her in her life, and and I think we were both reflecting a lot as well. So, yeah, it was good for that, and I hope you know I hope the listeners take something from away from it. I mean, if people don't know about Angela, her obviously her work. Um, she's worked extensively on BBC Radio 2 and doing live stuff for the One Show. She's presenter of Your Home Made Perfect, which we are which both big fans of. Which is the best of. show on TV. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, and she's done all sorts of different things. I mean, obviously, we talked about it a little bit on the podcast. She had a series on BBC Three called Close Encounters, where she talked to people like Katie Hopkins, mm. um, for example. And we talked about that a little bit on the on the podcast. So, yeah, she's done all sorts of different things. She's a... She's a master of many talents. Absolutely, yeah. And she's uh, her on-screen persona is obviously very friendly and, and sort of bubbly and, and open, and that's the same off-screen. But what's nice is she also opens up about moments where she's not maybe feeling like that, and how sometimes it's a bit of a, a bit of a mask. And I think it's important when you have people that are viewed a certain way that they talk about their vulnerabilities because mm. you know we all have them. And when you see people that. And she talks about this, about looking yeah. at other people and saying, well, they look like they've got their shit together. And I would say a lot of people probably think that about her when they see her on TV. But when you see her talking about her struggles and stuff, I think it's it's incredibly relatable and incredibly helpful. And that's, you know, that's only down to her. She can, we, we don't ask these people to come on and say, right, bear your soul to us. Um, they just do. And, you know, we're, we're very fortunate that these guests come on and are, and are so open about things because it's what mm. makes this podcast so great hopefully um so yeah so i really appreciate angela yeah. coming on and just being a, a wonderful wonderful guest it's, yeah it was fantastic to talk to her and you'll you'll hear it in a minute but we're gonna do a tweet first we are we're two gonna, tweets we're gonna do two mate we're gonna double up i've got one here from graham nealon and he says must have been dust blowing around as there was something in my eye a couple of times when listening to this a while walking just when you think this podcast can't get any better you go and have a chat like this and he was talking about the Sarah Barlondo podcast. Oh, yeah. Which we all got very emotional on. That was an emotional one. Yeah. Yeah, that was a very good one. Well, thanks, thanks, Graham. I've got one here from mm. Beth Ann Mortimer, who said, I listened to the Ivana Lynch pod today and loved it. She gave, hands down, the best answer to your final question that I've ever heard. And I've listened to almost every episode well that's wonderful beth ann that you've listened to every episode we really appreciate that almost uh, every yeah, so what ones have what ones haven't you listened yeah. to mm. maybe let us know which ones you haven't listened to and we'll try and persuade you to listen to those too <laughs> but yes ivana was a great guest wonderful guest she was and thank you that was a lovely message really lovely to get that message so i think we should probably crack on shouldn't we agreed yeah so this is angela scanlon on the blank podcast <laughs> I've made a very questionable drink, lads. Oh, what is it? it? Describe it to us. My face describes it all. It's chaga mushroom with some bee pollen and agave syrup. I'm going to be honest, it's the first time I've used this specific concoction and the last. <laughs> is, it your, is it your own recipe? Yeah. 
Well, chaga mushroom apparently is very good for your immunity. And I do have it sometimes instead of coffee because I don't get like a crash, but it still makes me a little bit, you know, focused. Uh, but <laughs> I think it's the bee pollen that's disgusting. Have you ever tasted it? Well, you think that it? would be luscious, wouldn't it? No, bee it's pollen. Gross. That sounds like it would be really, really nice. Yeah, and like honey I'd eat by the spoonful, but bee pollen, yeah. there's a bit, there's a like agricultural kind of taste off. That's just a bit oh. more. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You're like, mm, it's good for me, but maybe a bit too good. Mm. Agricultural taste basically means it tastes like shit. It tastes like shit. Yeah. <laughs> shit and honey all together. Yeah. Oh. Not a good combo. Because mm. I... Yeah, I, I love honey. My friends just started beekeeping. Oh, no And I'm way. seeing all her pictures on, on Instagram of her, her beehive. Nice. And um, it's incredible. Yeah. They're an amazing animal. They're amazing. Or insect. Yeah. Um, and also, honey's delicious. Like the whole yeah. process. And I, I have tried to do the whole, like, put some sugar on a spoon when a bee looks under pressure in the garden. Yes. Yeah, we've um, done that. It's quite rewarding, isn't it, seeing the little fella it fly is. off? I saw this video yesterday on Facebook and it was a bee, it was a beehive. Yeah. And then this bee had, um, it got covered in honey, honey. and it dried and it's all its wings. It couldn't move its wings. Oh. And the, its mates, basically, came over and they were cleaning him up. Oh. And, the, and they were, like, cleaning all the stuff off his wings so that he could stop. And then eventually, after about half, it took him about half an hour, he could fly and he fly, flew off. Oh, my God. I thought that That's was amazing. like, you know, when your pal holds your hair when you vomit. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly that. <laughs> Cute. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to start by asking you about um, Wim Hof. Wim we, Hof, go on. We had, we had Wim Hof on a few weeks back. Yeah. It was, it was, I, I've been a sort of a bit of an acolyte and a, a devotee for f- some years, but mm. it was Jim's first introduction into Wim. Yeah. And okay. um, I know I've seen some of your pictures on Instagram and you've been going out in the sea. Yeah. I have. So, yeah, Wim Hof I had on the podcast a few, like, a couple of months back, maybe. And, um, like, I'm a bit obsessed with him. So a few months ago, at the beginning of the year, actually, uh, I went to this thing, Move, Breathe, Chill. And it was, like, all this kind of um, crawling. I I can't remember what the technical name for it, but it's, like, basically primal movement, where we've kind Mm -hmm. of gotten into this habit of squatting. In a certain way, it's very mechanical like mechanical rather than this natural so like crawling and pouncing and kind of like the way we would have been back in the wilds I suppose Mm. like you'd run after someone then you'd stop and you were like on your hunkers and whatever anyway that was the move element of it but it was also accompanied with um, eye contact so you'd literally like at one point I was down on my hunkers and we were kind of like walking around in this squatting position while like forehead to forehead with an absolute stranger for like maybe a good five minutes it's very intimate and intense and you essentially have one like one eye because your heads are so close to each other all you can see is one big kind of cyclops (laughs) eye wow um but the kind of idea behind that is that we don't we're not like properly connecting properly looking at each other in in the way we might have done or in the way that like our souls maybe need to so it was odd but like lovely and then but it's weird how you see the group because there's a hundred people and how you see 
like the initial thing where you're walking around and you're like saying hello to strangers and most people have their heads down and it's like yeah yeah and then suddenly you're like eye to eye with a complete stranger and you're kind of like wrestling them and playing and whatever else so it's like kind of about promoting play and connection and then breath work, which was the second uh, element, um, which was all about like, have you have you done any of this before? Breath work. I've been doing. Yeah, Though I have. You've done it with I've, Wim, obviously. And he that. did it. Well, yeah, yeah, did a bit with him. Okay. Yeah, yeah that was sort of Jim. Hadn't, you hadn't done anything like that before. Don't no, think. that was my oh. introduction to okay. the Wim Hof <laughs> <I> way. <laughs> Wim is quite the guy to introduce you. Um, yeah. So yeah, and that's essentially the theory behind that is that we store trauma in our bodies. Emotional trauma is, is held in our bodies. So. Like events that happen or, yeah, significant traumatic things, which could seem like nothing but are significant for a kid who thinks in, you know, um, uh, kind of, I can't remember what the term is. But anyway, they like thinking absolutes is the term. So like Mm -hmm. somebody doesn't look at you, you don't deserve to be seen. Somebody doesn't say, I love you, you're unlovable, you know, these kind of things. So you have these little memories that are stored that actually you don't really realise, you bury, you internalise. And then this breath work is about like, you know, essentially going deep into your body and kind of releasing those things. So it can be really... Now, I don't know. I think I'm a bit of a control freak and I've never quite got to the point where I've had those like weeping, howling releases, which people seem to have and I'm really jealous of. But, you know, we'll get there. And then the <laughs> chill bit is is the... Yeah, sitting in an ice bath and kind of the, again, the idea being that you, um, if you can find some sort of peace and silence and stillness in that environment which is so alien and adverse and difficult that you can then go about your day and literally you're invincible and also then there's like actual physical benefits like reduction in inflammation and you know boosts in immunity but really good for depression for anxiety for all of those things so I am I, I can't even remember how I heard about this guy. I know at Christmas time I tried to get a bunch of people together and there's a dude who does it in Ireland called Breath with Nile and we were going to get like a big bucket and all jump into it on the 23rd of December. Anyway, it didn't quite pan out because weirdly people didn't think it was a very fun thing to do at Christmas <laughs> when they could be sculling hot whiskies. So I was like, fine, whatever. And um, But I did that chill thing and it was so wild because it's only 90 seconds. It was absolutely lashing rain, like it was howling. We had the big like, you know, paddling pools, basically, giant paddling pools filled with iced water. And... And you sit in there and I'm very competitive. So I was like, oh, I think I'm only able to do this because I can't face the idea of leaving when everyone else is sitting yeah. in the pool. But like there was something so, um, so beautiful about sitting in that freezing cold water and kind of managing to like pull yourself back down into it and like proper presence because your mind can't go anywhere other than focusing on your breath so it's like this really grounding kind of thing and then obviously you know you don't have one of those at your disposal every day so I have been doing hot showers really like consistently since the beginning of of lockdown and I'm obsessed and weirdly yesterday I went to um I did a plunge pool um so I've been doing cold water swimming because it's summer it's probably like I don't know, eight, nine 
maybe a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, it's not quite degrees. cold enough. Yeah. It's not cold enough. You want to be like four minus four, not minus four, but below four. Um, and so, yeah, I did a plunge put, lads. I got in initially and I was oh, so ballsy. I've been doing cold showers. It's fine. It's fine. I was showing yeah. a friend who had never done it. And so I walked in and I felt like my legs were going to break and I had to literally run out and kind of like crawl around to get the blood back in. And then I I went back in. I was like, fuck this. And I eventually did 90 seconds under the water. I had my hands out, but I like went up to there. Oh my God, it was glorious. Like it's horrendous initially. And then, but the kind of sense of achievement from doing it. And again, that like stillness for 90 seconds is, is quite... It's great, mad, but good. Why, why, why is it that like the things that are the best for us, so this kind of experience yeah. and it's cleansing and it's peaceful, why is it the things that are the best for us are absolutely horrendous? To <laughs> why can't you get through? Why can't you have the same release and experience from like eating a donut? You I know. know. Why, why, that's so unfair. Yeah, yeah, and even those vegan donuts, like you think, but they're not really the same, are they? Mm, um, no. So I don't know. Maybe they make, maybe that kind of hardship, maybe it's actually like after the gym, the real joy is when you finish. It's yeah. not in the mm. doing of it, but maybe that's like emotional things, getting through emotional things. There's a kind of pride and a strength that you get having come out the other end. And it's funny. Have you heard of a woman called Glennon Doyle? She's an author. Yes, I have. Yeah. yeah so she's written a book, Untamed. Um, she's done one called Love Warrior. She's American. She was like a real holy Joe. I mean, she wouldn't probably quite put it like that, but like she was very <laughs> religious and she kind of, I think, has fallen away from that. But um her her book, as odd, I was with a friend the other day and we were talking about it and she has four kids who are, uh, the eldest is 20 and they go down to like 13, I think. And um, I'm talking, she, anyway, Glennon in the book talks about how, you know, our generation, maybe the generation above us, but like not our parents, the one in the middle, that our parents, their job as a parent was to basically keep us fed, watered and clothed and like get an education, off you go. But like, we're not, most of them weren't really aware of emotional need and, you know, all of Mm. like the psychological side of things. It was like, lad, you've got a fucking bedroom and you've got, you've got a a pair of jeans and you went to school. So like I did, I aced it. Whereas actually that next generation then became aware of the kind of impact of not having that maybe emotional support or, or, you know, working through their own stuff. And then obviously they blame their parents. And so their job as parents was to avoid or have their kids avoid any of the hardship that they had to endure, protect them at all costs. And what she talks about is that actually by protecting or seemingly protecting kids from difficult experiences, whether that's sitting in an ice bath or whether it's getting, you know, bullied at school or whatever it might have been, that, or like, you know, mild neglect, um, that it's, you're kind of like robbing children of the confidence and the strength that comes with overcoming those things. So if you wrap someone in cotton wool, yeah, they don't get hurt, but they also don't know that they can get hurt and survive. Yeah. And that mm. actually you're like their experience of life is only is only half lived because there is not necessarily the polarity in like the lows and then the appreciation of the highs because of that comparison. And so I'm now suddenly going, oh, 
maybe I feel a little bit more grateful for my shitty experiences because I kind of now feel like, oh, I've got capacity to deal with stuff, which is what life is kind of about, isn't it? What I what I'm hearing is, oh great, I can just let my daughter walk into things and just leave her. She's fine and not worry about it. Yeah, she triumphs through strength yeah. Yeah. and resilience. Yeah. Well, if you bump yeah, in the head, it's not going to hurt anyone. It's not going to kill been her. A fr- well, a phrase that's going around kind of recently is like snowplow parenting, isn't it? Oh, like, yeah. They just push everything out of the way so that, that you know yeah. you have no problems in life, and that you know, um, yeah. and it's just you know life doesn't work like that but at some point you're going to hit something it's yeah, robbing yeah, exactly, them yeah. and so then they get to like oh cool you know parents are like okay I'm now 60 fuck off but they're yeah. not equipped yeah. kids are like hang on what I've never done it I don't know how to be an adult because yeah. you haven't let me be in person You've, I've just been kind of floating along aided by you and like you cleaning up up in front of me so I never have to like even jump over a hurdle you know and and they are ill-equipped to deal with pressure and to deal with um yeah stuff that like happens yeah totally I mean you know and that's not like hashtag snowflake thing but it's no no not at all no no you know no but it's like building up a sort of a, a bit of resilience Mm. In, in our kids, but you know, in a good way, not in a, in a healthy you know, way. A, yeah, yeah. Like I think they need to know what that when the shit hits the fan, you're there. But like they're capable of, you yeah. know, <sighs> going right in the fan or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was childhood like for you then? Oh Jesus, are we going there? <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Um, what was childhood like for me? It was. <laughs> so I'm one of four girls, which I think. Uh, oddly I never I just thought oh yeah I'm one of four girls isn't that quite novel three out of four were redheads we were like you know it was kind of a comical sight four girls under whatever we were like we were quite close in age um and actually I think that the four girls has really like it probably shaped us quite a lot because Mm -hmm. you know there is without even being really conscious of it quite a direct comparison you're very there was a there was a uh, pressure or a need to kind of etch out your own thing like that thing is hers this thing is mine and so yeah that kind of sense of trying to fight for an identity instead of just being like the second eldest girl and like yeah. all the girls are the same you know a bit different but all the same you know and you never gave too much to one because the other might be like like it was it was an exercise in diplomacy all the time and inequality there were no favorites there was no this but so much so that you actually had to as time went on fight really hard to go oh hang on am I like a quarter of a unit or am I a whole person Mm. (laughs) so it was kind of an it's an odd one that I'm only now realizing you know I like I did Irish dancing and I traveled quite a bit and I was always quite keen to to go even when I was young and I think that was in response to feeling like I needed to 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 find my independence and like etch out an identity kind of for myself but like my parents both from the country we grew up on the like Dublin's obviously the capital we grew up Mm -hmm. outside Meath and um, but they were from the west of Ireland so they were like deemed culties you know I guess I don't know what the comparable would be here we lived just outside London's but London but my parents were from Somerset kind of thing so like this stuff that goes along with that so I really identified with that kind of sense of not not 
being an outsider, but I was aware of a very different life and I didn't quite fit into like the cosmopolitan towny thing. But I certainly mm. was able to carry myself in that, but I was probably more comfortable um, in a field. Were you field. viewed that way as well, do you think? I think I was. I think it was a very strange mix, especially as I started working. There was a kind of, oh, like I wasn't, you know, posh. I, I think people couldn't quite identify who I was or or where I was from or they couldn't put me in a box, you know, um, which was nice, but also like a bit confusing yeah. <laughs> for me, maybe more than anyone <laughs> yeah. else. Um, but uh, yeah, well, like, I've, I mean, I think I was like, like a tomboy. It's pretty, I think it was pretty wild in, in many senses. Like my parents were quite conservative and like a bit religious. They lost that over time. Um, mm. But yeah, like quite free, you know, we were, out and about a lot but there was probably like when I think back my mum had us when she was like she probably had four under six by the time she was 32. Wow wow yeah you know busy house house, and my dad was working he had the traditional role and so you know only having had my own daughter I'm like fuck four kids under that age with her role to be like also to have dinner on the table and not necessarily yeah. have that kind of culture where you're like, oh, you need to get out. I think you and your girlfriend should go on a spa weekend or like <laughs> whatever. You've had a rough time. It was like you made your bed kind of vibes. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So I think like she probably, you know, I'd I'd kind of like to hug my mom of that age, you know. Yeah. Um. But like amazing, but also probably a bit chaotic, I'd imagine. That that generation actually, they're um they're incredible actually, because I'm 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 one of three mm. and uh I've got my dad's got six sisters, I've got six aunties, uh Okay. Lots of cousins two hundred second cousins or whatever. Wow, it is. good going. Lots of big lots of big Catholic families. And Yeah. The the sort of mums from that generation just got on with it they had massive families and they just cracked on with it and i just i can't i actually got so much respect for for mums of that generation probably got no emotional support very little physical support and they're just getting on with raising these big families and and you know all right some of my cousins are a bit weird but most of them (laughs) turned out okay they're still here i think you know yeah mm, if you produce you know if you're producing people that are semi-normal from those kind of on your own most of the time with dad's off working i think it's incredible really and yeah we've, we've moved on a lot you know in, in in the next couple of generations but it's mad yeah maybe we're a bit through. softer you know maybe like i do think that my dad or my my granny my dad's mother had 14 wow children wow and like you know there's stories of her out like feeding the pigs they had a farm feeding the pigs when she was literally ready to drop and then she'd go into the house and have a baby and then wow. like off we go again and um <laughs> that's a fo- that's a football team and three subs i know i know <laughs> but also it's ve- it's kind of you know there's like that brings its own in your mind you think oh my god glorious it's a football team and it's madness and it's like you know fun but I think the eldest didn't know the youngest the eldest became kind of proxy parents some of them never had kids of their own because they were like I fucking did this already and so there's quite and then there's like packs in the middle like the three in the middle who knew we actually hung out and went to school together and it's like I think it's 
maybe the most difficult thing is to be surrounded by people and to feel quite lonely, I think is the most difficult experience. And I imagine in a big family like that, you're surrounded, but I don't know how much, like how much, you know, does one person have to get, I I just, like now being a mum of one, the capacity to like love 15 children, like you want to be an absolute tank. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, the time, the yeah. time that would even have time the to time. look after 15. Yeah. Children. And also, I do think like that with it brought its own kind of, you know, resentment because the like actual pregnancies, she, you know, she famously said she died when she was 93 and she was like to my sister, three, three is enough. <laughs> and she's like, you know, took a bit of time, but actually, you know. That deci- it wasn't it wasn't her decision. It was a time when contraceptive was not a thing. Yeah. My dad went to, or my granddad was in England working, sending money home for the kids at home. So she was like raising them on her own, and he would come home and Bob's your uncle, as they say. And <laughs> so it was kind of like I do think there was a lot of resentment for this like giant family that had kind of you know, not been forced on her, but I don't think it would have been a conscious decision to go, that's a great idea, let's have 15 yeah, kids. Yeah, yeah. Just, you yeah. know, it was, uh, it was of the time. Yeah. But like, yeah, it's, it's, it's complex. And it's funny, a lot of my dad's family, we're, we're one of four and we're the biggest family. There's like maybe one, three, but most two. Mm. And, and lots of no kids. Yeah, so there's been you know, a, there's been a, a learning process. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been a learning curve. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, I know you were saying you you were you kind of felt like you wanted to get away and get out. Mm. What was the first opportunity to do that for you? Oh, um, like I say, I used to dance, so I'd go away sometimes yeah. in the summer with friends, just for a couple of weeks at a time, and then that would extend to maybe five weeks. So it was probably when I first, like, actually went into college that I, w- it was every year I was gone for months at a time. The summer I was gone. Um, and that just became a habit. And as soon as I graduated from college, gone, I went to New York. I spent six months there. Then I came back. So I w- uh, and then I came back and worked briefly. And then I went to Australia for a year and I spent six months in Southeast a- East Asia. And truthfully, like I think now I was kind of like I was just deeply uncomfortable in my own skin, if I'm honest. And I think I always thought that I would find some sort of comfort somewhere else and that there was, you know, that saying, and I do think it really has kind of come home for a lot of people over COVID is that like wherever I go, there I am. And so I was like running away and hoping that like this distraction, this country and this adventure and this experience would somehow make me feel... Um, like a bit content. Content was just not a feeling that was familiar to me at all. And so I would just, yeah, go everywhere. I mean, usually poor old ex-boyfriend got the brunt of it. He was blamed, you know, for <laughs> he was the reason I was running away because I couldn't quite break up with him. But if I put a continent between us, then I could resist. Um, but actually, I think I was kind of legging it from myself and... Like it's taken a very long time to to figure that out. You know, that kind of travel was just substituted with pretty extreme uh, work, work ethic, which sounds, you know, sensible and working class. Mm. Um, but actually it was like a work addiction, which is a bit less sexy. 
<laughs> very much so. <laughs> and what, was no. there a, a place or a time where you did start to feel a bit more content? Maybe it was the natural Honestly, location or... like the last six months. Really? Yeah, it's been a really long, like it took a really long time for me. And actually the kind of catalyst was, so my daughter's two and a half now and the catalyst was her birth actually for me because I just kind of, suppose like maybe it came a little bit before that and then I had been kind of creating, like always moving the goalposts onto the next thing, onto the next thing, onto the next thing. These kind of like in the back of my mind, seemingly impossible goals that I would then get to and feel nothing. Mm. Like not contentment, not joy, not a sense of pride, not a sense of achievement or satisfaction. Just like, okay, next. And I would, I'm like my internal critic, which I've learned to like have a word with, was a fucking bitch. And it was kind of this like, yeah, a lot of experiences that should have like fed me just didn't. And so then when I like, so I'd gotten married, I'd had the job, I'd got then like had a baby. And I was like, oh my God, I'm actually there. I'm properly broken because <laughs> none of this is doing much for me. And it was not, you know, and I have a, like an amazing relationship with my husband who I love to bits. I have a career that I really love and I had this perfect little baby and I was just um, like, it was, it was quite shocking to feel like you have the things that you want and yet you're still a bit like, um, I don't even know what the word is, but I certainly didn't, you know, all of those people who talked about the bubble and the la la la, like that escaped me, you know, and was just accompanied by a kind of sense of, oh shit, how come I didn't get that gig? And then secondly, this guilt at not having that immediate like, love and I think I was just you know and not that I didn't love because even saying that out loud makes me feel awful but like I think I had to really learn how to like be a mother it wasn't an innate mm-hmm. thing to me and I think I had to learn how to without getting too into like therapy chat but I had to learn how to be a mother to myself I was quite yeah. a cruel kind of taskmaster still am and I it's only by being aware of that version of myself that I can kind of keep a handle on it but I kind of you know my motivation at the time was I'd quite like to sort this out for my daughter Mm. and I've now realized that like you know it's kind of nice to sort it out for myself too yeah of course but she was definitely the motivation you have you have to you know again it's like like sort of counseling 101 you have to look after yourself before you can what is it RuPaul says at the end of every episode of Drag Race if you can't love yourself how in the hell are you going to love someone else can I get an amen which is absolutely can I get an amen which is bang on (laughs) but it's 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 true but I'm I'm fascinated by this idea of contentment because on the Mm. outside contentment seems like quite a simple thing oh you get to a place where you feel content but actually I don't think I think many of us never get to that place and you're absolutely right about this idea of chasing your goals and your dreams and then you get there and it doesn't you don't feel whole that that wholeness Mm -hmm. you thought was going to happen isn't there that magic moment yeah and i don't know why we think that's going to be a thing is it because we see it on in movies or tv Mm. and yet on this podcast and this is a cliche that i'm I'm going to now repeat that comes up quite a lot is is that the journey is actually is is 
the is the more important thing than the, than the destination and actually if you can learn to enjoy mm. the journey enjoy and everything journey, that's taken yeah. to you then when you get to this magical place it doesn't yeah. matter because you've already you've had the experience and yeah. that's what shaped you more than actually getting to a certain amount of instagram likes or a job or, or a place or whatever and uh, but, but that. that that i've i've described that you know very sort of basically because that is yeah. an incredibly difficult thing to do it's so difficult to do. But like what I had kind of realised, that was my, um, my, like there was a massive discomfort with like learning, with having to learn something, with not knowing something. And so I put this huge expectation on myself. I'd look at people and go, it looks so easy for them. It looks so easy for them. It must be natural. If it doesn't come naturally, then I'm not fucking meant to do it. And I yeah. almost dare myself in a really reckless way to, to talk myself into jobs, to put myself in a position. And then to, when I, when I got them to not ask for help, like I had this so almost repulsion against the idea of needing anything. It was so gross needing like praise or support or recognition. I was like, ugh. And so I kind of created this idea that I was like this self-sufficient island. And like you say, that that journey became more about like keeping everyone out so that they couldn't actually see the struggle in me or the need or I didn't recognise that myself and just so isolating and so lonely and then you get to this point and you suddenly think everybody's going to be part of that. They're not. They th- Those connections and that intimacy is formed when you like do something together where somebody has seen you and who has been gifted the... the um, like opportunity to to lift you and to support you and to um and to be part of that and I think sometimes I felt like if I open that up I'm going to be exposed I'm going to you know mm. they're going to know that I'm not supposed to be here and so I became this kind of uh yeah it just became a very lonely place to be so even when you got to that height or that like goal it was it was a pretty isolating place to be and yeah that was a like a massive lesson for me so I started doing a chat show this year so I'm saying like this is not you know years of knowledge this is all pretty recent um kind of you know mini breakthroughs but like I started doing a chat show in Ireland that was um paused because of because of COVID and I so we did a run through of the show and my instinct was to go they didn't do that right. Why didn't this happen? Or I I came off set going, that should have been tighter. Why didn't the music come in there? And the floor manager should have done this and this person should have done that. And then I thought, and I, and I caught myself in the moment, but it, at that time it was kind of too late, but I caught myself in the moment going, wow, like in the grand scheme of things, this is a brand new show that we've put together, that everyone has put their heart and soul into, that didn't go tits up. That in itself is a result. And I realised walking into that room afterwards that I had already got the list of things that weren't perfect, which managed to like drain all of the good stuff, just was was eclipsed. Mm. And I thought, okay, like 
I don't love this. And actually, this is a dream of mine is to have a chat show where I'm shaping it, where I'm allowed to like be creative and to get choose the guests and to choose the tone and to all of that kind of stuff. And so I made a decision the following week. I was like, okay, what do I what do I need in order to like enjoy this process? And so I was able to ask for the things I need. First of all, recognize the things that I need and then mm-hmm. ask for them instead of just resent not having been given the things that I never asked for in the first place and assuming mm-hmm. that like I'm not going to ask for them but you need to like recognize that I need them. And so I kind of just like I was like I just really need, you know, an hour where I like have a bit of grub and I'm not talking to anyone about anything and I like want to have a FaceTime with my daughter so that I can kind of like check in and not feel guilty and not feel like this separate little island woman that I had kind of created. And Mm. I was able to go on and I enjoyed the actual doing of the show. But more than that, I was able to come off. And sorry, the other thing I asked for was like my producer who I had worked with in documentaries for years who I have an amazing relationship with. And I was like... There was a bit of me that felt like, oh, it's a bit needy if I ask for somebody in my eye line. Then you're like, that's okay. You know, you're in front of a new audience. All you have is someone in your ear who you haven't worked with massively, so they don't know the level of interaction. And so I said, I'd really like for David to be on the floor. So he like went into one of the booths among the audience and I was able to like just look at him every so often. And he and his expression like allowed me to know like where we were, that we were, it just eased me massively. And so I recognised that knowing what I needed, asking for it, allowed me to then come off. He had been part of that. We had, I had enjoyed it. The show had gone better as a result. And we were able, like I was able to walk into the green room afterwards and like embrace when you could do that, the whole team and feel properly Mm. like supported by them. Like they had all worked their arses off. Everything wasn't perfect, but fuck it, we were all in it together. And it was so much more, like, it was so much more rewarding, actually. And it was a massive lesson for me because, and I still have to remind myself not to go straight to what went wrong, like, because I kind of admire that, like, relentless, you know, kind of critic like I I'm it's almost a side for me I'm criticizing myself but I do it to everybody else I would have a chat with somebody and then I go "Ooh, wasn't great like very 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 critical but without really recognizing the damage that that can do to a relationship whether that's with yourself or with somebody else I'm like yeah yeah yeah, but I'm but I love that person but like I'm literally tearing them to shit but that's in an objective way Mm. you know (laughs) but it's Mm -hmm. like and I do that mostly to myself and it's it's hugely damaging, which I guess is the RuPaul thing. If you can't love yourself, you know, you can project and you can present this great thing. But if at home you're hammering yourself, that is, as a friend of mine says, leaking out yeah. of you. <laughs> well, we're our own worst trolls a lot of the time, aren't we? I think creative trolls. people are. Yeah. Well, I think it's okay. I mean, obviously, you put in, in, in you put yourself a process in place for yourself in that situation with your show, and I think you know sometimes we forget that actually we are. I think as a species, we are built neg- to have negative mm. minds. You know, anthropologically speaking, we 
you know, our ancestors. Yeah, exactly. So we, you know, and I think sometimes we have to recognize that, that we are, we are generally negative and we have negative mindsets and that we have, we have to, as people work on that and actually put things in place like you did there. It's a brilliant, you know, a brilliant um, example of it so that you didn't let those things overtake what was, you know, a really, really pleasant and lovely thing. Yeah, but made. also like a magical dream-like milestone. You've got your own chacho. It was yeah. like one of those unicorn things that I thought, I'm going to put this down on a piece of paper and see what happens. And like, you know, obviously it's not quite as simple as that, but it was one of those things that I was like, oh, that would be a moment. And I was close to ruining it, you know, and I think, Mm. and that is with the little inner troll who's like deep down going, you're going to fuck this up. So actually it's probably easier if I tell you before somebody else, if I (laughs) tell you your shit, then nobody else can really tell you that. Um, Or can, you know, hurt you by telling you that because you already know. So I think, but yeah, that, that survival thing and that kind of like that idea that we are inherently, you know, like a bit trolly and a bit negative like that was why I started my podcast because I was like gratitude was the thing that I kept coming back to and when I was in the depths I would revisit it and then I thought okay maybe like if if I do this because work was kind of you know I didn't have a diary in my real life I had a diary in my work life and work was something I never you know like uh, bail out of I'm not flaky in a work sense I'm flaky in many other areas of my life and I thought okay well if I put that in there it makes me practice gratitude and I have to commit to it and I have actually like that kind of I think it change over time if you can commit to yeah, it, ch- it changes maybe the way your head works or you don't allow yourself to to be overcome by the negativity for too long. You kind of know how to find your way back and you can wallow and I think it's really important to kind of properly feel all of that shit too. But like to go, okay, now we're off again. A bit like what we're talking about kids, that resi- knowing that you can get through that. And I think that was a big thing because I was just like, oh, may- maybe I'm just broken and actually I've done all the things and I still feel like shit and maybe that's just my lot. And that's a pretty grim place to be at whatever, 35 at the time, you know. Yeah, I think I think the idea of asking is such, it's such a freeing thing to do and it is a simple yeah. thing that we can do as humans and you're absolutely right as soon as you sort of reach out and allow other people into your vulnerability and, and into your life situation they feel enriched because yeah. they like we like helping each other we all do you know if my mates want mm-hmm. help with stuff i, I, I want to help them that's we are sort of yeah you know beings that want to help each other but asking is so simple there's a there's a book by amanda palmer called um i have to google it the art of asking um which is which is really good it's i actually read it a couple of years. i need to reread it um but i just think it's it's such a simple thing for us to do and you always i always feel when i want when i ask someone for help i always feel like i'm yeah. completely imposing on them and they're gonna think oh jim just leave me alone i got my own stuff to do but actually nine times out of ten yeah. people are really helpful and and all the good things in my life that have happened have nearly always come from me asking for it and people being switched yeah. on and happy to do it. So getting over that, you're so right about that sort of default negative mindset, getting over that and 
trying to reach out a little bit. And feeling like a burden and like this need is this kind of pathetic, repulsive thing. Um, Mm. Yeah, I do think that asking for something and it being given to you, like it's it's nourishing for both sides. It's it creates intimacy. It creates connection. It creates a bond that you don't get when you just both meet for brunch and have a great time and talk about all <laughs> yeah. the positive things in your life because that's lovely and you want to be around positive people. But it's also not real if you yeah. don't allow people in. And I've kind of I have to work really hard. And you know, I guess this is the whole integration thing. You learn things. You understand them on a, you know, like, what's the word, intellectual level. You understand that allowing people to see your vulnerability is a positive thing. You've been told it by Brené Brown, you've whatever. Mm. You've watched the TED Talk. But actually allowing yourself that opportunity and it is an opportunity it's an opportunity for intimacy and I think allowing yourself that and and sometimes it's the most the you you crave that connection but you're also for me certainly really afraid of that connection because the if you embrace and allow like a real deep emotional connection with a friend or with a partner or with a child then that can go and you can lose it. And I think that's why we sometimes keep people at arm's length because the reality of allowing mm. yourself to be consumed by your love or your care or your need for them means that if they disappear, you're fucked for whatever period of time. And I think the fear of that is more powerful than the desire for connection sometimes or we don't understand that the benefit of that connection while you have it outweighs the potential loss if that that happens you know so it's a a tricky old one like I since I've been a kid have always had this like irrational terror when people would go away they're like they're dead they're three minutes late they're dead and so I think I learned quite young to kind of uh, mm. create a bit of a distance because the overwhelming feeling of grief at the thought of losing somebody was was kind of just too much to bear. So it was easier to be self-sufficient, yeah. you know, and this was never a logical thought process, but it was like, do you know what, if I just like dance around and I'm breezy and I like jazz hands and everything's fab, then if someone dies, I'm not going to be broken. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so dark. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is. <laughs> <laughs> the this perception is of me. You were like, I thought this was going to be a positive one, Jim. We're going to have to retweet this the biog. This was supposed to be an easy one. This is, what's happened? So sorry. No, 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 you no. should talk, lie down on a couch. You're talking a lot of sense. A lot oh, of sense. Yeah. Um, and as as I was just thinking as well, like people always think that reaching out for help and are asking for whether it's a physical thing or an emotional thing is a sign of weakness Mm. but it's actually not it's actually a massive sign of strength because it's it's a sign of you recognizing oh actually this is going to benefit both of us and you're right and you're you're breaking a lot of these sort of awkward boundaries that people have Mm. and 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 some people have more than others but i think everyone has them to an extent but asking for help is not is not weak not asking for help in a way is quite weak because it's too easy to sort of get on Asking for help is actually what strengthens these bonds and these connections and each other. And it's, it's why we're all human. It's why we're here. 
It totally. And I think it's it takes practice. Like, I think you have to, mm. you know, like force yourself to like in the moment where you want to cancel and you want to hide because you're not presentable or lovable or whatever notion you have. Like you're, oh, actually, I feel anxious. I don't want to impose that on anyone. I just don't yeah. want to be seen in that state that you go, no, actually force yourself to commit to the meeting that you were going to have that like friends that were going to come over when you hear news that you you know rocks your world and you're in a heap you bring them over because actually they hold you and that's what friendship is about and that's what relationships are about and I think I've had to kind of you know override my instinct to hide um and allow people in when I when I really need them and actually in doing that and I you know talk a lot about I don't talk but they, whoever they are, talk about neuroplasticity and the ability mm. to rewire and stuff. Mm. And I think, you know, it's knowing something on an intellectual level, but then actually putting it into practice in little ways. Um, and I like I'm big on the whole shame thing. And I try often now to like you know, talk about things that I previously would have hidden, like whether that was weakness or whether it was my, you know, the feelings that I had after birth, because I think those things sit in you and they like fester and they build and, and it's really, really damaging. And so I'm like, you know, uh, like quite a light person. And I think my energy is quite light and, you know, I bring that to wherever I go. And then sometimes I end up coming home and I'm like, sitting in the darkness and I think that's because there's a there's a disconnect between what I present and mm. and the things that are you know hidden away under a stairs because they're not acceptable and so I'm like really making quite a conscious effort to to show them because I think not only is it good for me but it's a, it's it, it allows and it gives people permission to unleash their little trolls you know yeah do you think that's some of the reason you went into doing what you do, like you know, the presenting and stuff, so that you could almost create a different side of you that you could then hide away some of that other stuff? I mean, maybe. Like, I do think it's not a coincidence. Like, you know, when I start to unpick stuff and you're in like this, you know, busy house, like I think me tap dancing my way onto the um, studio floor was a, you know, is a very like it's quite an obvious way I like felt obviously unseen um as a kid but like fuck me I'll be seen by them all now you know (laughs) and so yeah like I I, and I didn't necessarily relate to that when I got into it I certainly didn't know what drew me in but I but I think actually my you know fame was never interesting to me I'm quite uncomfortable with that sort of recognition and, and I'm deeply private in many ways however I think my like desire to connect with people and in a way, like I say, you know, my job was was my priority for many years. So if I could connect with people Mm. in my work, then I was feeding a part of myself that I wouldn't allow to be fed in private life because I just didn't have time. So I was, um, yeah, like and, and also I think there's like an... I have a, a deep sensitivity and an empathy because of whatever that I can I I think I can relate to people and I can see that in people and I it allows for it to to come out maybe in them I don't know well I was gonna say you've done some quite you know you've talked to some quite um difficult and challenging people you know I mean going back to the close encounter stuff you 
went to Trump rallies and Katie Hopkins, yeah. for example. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that was interesting. But actually, again, that was, I, it's funny because like back in the day, I was going to be tricked and I was going to be taken advantage of. And I always thought like it was a really being a wild, you know, yeah. that'll come mm. back to bite you in the arse kind of thing. <laughs> and, but I, I was always extremely open. It's funny, I see it in my daughter, this kind yeah. of wild openness. And I, I now want to really kind of protect and preserve that, you know. But at the time, I kind of recognised it as a, yeah, it was a, it was a weakness. It was a defect, you know. But um, with Katie Hopkins, I do think there was a, there's a subconscious desire in me to see some sort of good in people or maybe that's just a I don't know whether that was an ego thing where I was like do you know what I see the same version of her presented it's a construction it's a character Um, I knew that like if I went in you know, with my fists that she was, she's able to fight me and it was just two women shouting at each other and like fighting and nobody really learns anything through that. So I kind of was very determined to, to disarm her and to explore and to kind of like expose her as not this, like, you know, she's a pretty hideous human, but like, you know, where does, where does that come from? And is Mm. there another side? And, you know, she talked about how, uh, now, obviously, she's like on a big crusade. It became much darker actually afterwards, but like a big one of her things was obesity. And she, um, she kind of talked about how um, she had really bad health, which prevented her from doing a lot of things that normal people could do day to day. And so her frustration and her like, dogged kind of shouting down of fat people as she saw it was actually born from this kind of frustration that she couldn't she wasn't free to run a marathon every day even if she wanted to and here were these healthy people who had everything that she didn't have and they were like eaten (laughs) instead of running and so I think it, it comes from her own like uh, her own pain, I suppose, like the things yeah. that she can't do, other people are flaunting and taken for granted. And so, well, it's one yeah, of the deadly was, sins, isn't it? It's envy. Yeah. It's, um, you know, that's yeah. <laughs> what it is. Yeah. It's, it's jealousy. Totally. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's true. And actually, instead of sitting with that, it's easier to go fat pig. Yeah. You know, then go, I really wish that I had a body that could do everything that I'd like it to do. And I don't. Yeah. So, but yeah, I guess, yeah, Katie is a... Special case. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's one word. Yeah. She's a special case. A lot of these... Yeah, she is indeed. That's actually, you're being being quite kind to her there. Mm. Um, There's um, a lot of these kind of outspoken right-wing people. I would imagine, this is me completely generalizing here and and assuming that their anger comes from some sort of personal insecurity somewhere something has happened along the line where they've got anger against the world because something hasn't hasn't happened for them but but we all have that we all we all have a thing that could make us angry we don't turn out to be you know far right (laughs) there's still a turning point isn't there yeah Yeah. and I think there's got to be a like responsibility that you're like yeah Katie Hopkins had a hard childhood join the fucking club there's plenty of people who had much harder childhoods and actually it's not at a certain point it is not an excuse for behaviour you know and I do think there's you know you can kind of if you recognise that if you know it if she was open 
open about it. I don't know. You know, I think a lot of her thing came from wanting to be in the in the military and then getting kicked out just beforehand because she had like a regular heartbeat. So in her mind, all she wanted to do was be in the, is it Sandringham? Sandringham? Yeah, Sandringham, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And so she had gone through all the training and, you know, a couple of days before graduation. So that was like her, she could never realise her her dream because of something that she was born with, like a defect in her body. And so I think she's deeply angry. But again, fucking deal with the babe. There's people dealing with it a lot worse. So sometimes <laughs> I kind of regret maybe my, maybe my compassion towards people is... Actually, you know, I would I would probably go harder on her now if I got her, you know, with a little bit of life lived. I feel like I would go, you know what? No. People need to be held accountable when they're that venomous and when they're yeah. kind of seeping out onto the world with their gross views, then like they either need to be muzzled or they need to go to therapy yeah. and not shit all over the rest of us. <laughs> both, ideally. Yeah. Go, to, go to therapy seems to be a thing that a lot of, I, like, are we watch, my wife and I watch Neighbours. My wife's obsessed with Neighbours. This is a really good segue. <laughs> so, I mean, this, is a, this, is, this is a terrible take coming up. I apologise. But Tell whenever we watch an episode, whenever we watch an episode, <laughs> my all I find myself saying is every character on this show needs to go to therapy. Yeah. And if they did, it would fix most of the storylines, which I know is not an interesting storyline. They would do yeah. group therapy maybe in Ramsey Street. They need that's on, not I mean, a bad why would, little side yeah. show. Why would you move to Ramsey Street? I mean, surely if you were going to buy a house there, you would do some research. Oh, all these bad things have happened here. I'm probably not going to live here. So it's not going to end anyway. well for me. No, yeah. it's from, I don't know. But anyway, I, I, yeah. my, my, my ending thought on that is that therapy is helpful and it's good. So yes, here, here. That's what I wanted to say. That roundabout story. I liked sorry. it. I liked it. Set it in reality. We can all relate to neighbours. <laughs> oh, neighbours is, neighbours is, uh, yeah. So going back to sort of work stuff. Yeah. Um, you got into doing obviously doing live TV. Did, did you? Was that enjoyable? Did you find? You know, you sort of alluded to it earlier. It was a bit of an adrenaline rush. Yeah, and it, and it was something um, that maybe you weren't necessarily that comfortable with doing. No, but like, listen, this is again before I recognised that um, comfort is quite a nice feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I consistently like put myself in in positions which I wasn't really prepared for, and kind of got off on that. But actually, like, really robbed myself of a lot of experience of kind of growing and that like support. I kind of talked my way into things and then like just held on tight. Um, and but live telly it's special one because <laughs> it is terrifying um but it's also l- thrilling mm. and yeah like I remember one of the first things that I did on the one show was um it wasn't in studio it was out I was actually just talking about this at the weekend it was out in uh they were lighting beacons for the queen's birthday oh, and so yeah, I was yeah, yeah. the roving reporter right so um that's a classic one anyway, show Oh, classic one show. I was up there in a barber jacket living my best life. And so I'm on a hill on uh, like some moor in Somerset. Not really known. You know, the Queen is not really my bag. Like I didn't know the beacons were a thing that were lit for her birthday. You know, it's a bit. And so 
<clears throat> I had this bit of an over and back. There was something in the script about us, you know, and I was like, ask Dara O'Brien, like, you know, I'm not us. Yeah. I'm not English. Like, yeah, I don't know, know yeah. whether I should be taking ownership of that. And he was like, anyway, so I got a little bit of advice about him and I slightly retweeted the script. Anyway, mm, I was up on the top. They they came to us live. They were doing beacons in Windsor Castle and elsewhere around the country. And then our one, which was pretty big. It was being built all day. And like we literally got the go ahead. Somebody else's feed had failed and we were on in seconds. So I run across the moors. There's this woman, <laughs> Anne Labar, 93, who had been given the like honour of lighting this beacon for the Queen. So, you know, there's a guy called Johnny there in full gear with the stick and the rag like on fire, putting it into the inside of this like big wooden wigwam bonfire thing. And... Um, I don't know whether it was the wind or whether there was a little <laughs> extra juice on the end of that cloth that we didn't know about, but it took off and it all, like, the the fire went up and I'm literally like, hi, welcome. Ooh, that's a bit warmer than we, ooh, that's after taking off a bit, a bit more than we expected. And I'm, like, trying to speak to camera in some coherent way while also dragging this 93-year-old woman <laughs> with me who was really reluctant to be seen to need any help. So I'm like trying to, trying to take her along um, and run away from the fire, which, you know, was bad, but it wasn't that bad. But perspective on the camera made it look like literally we were about to be engulfed <laughs> by, the, by the inferno. And so we're still up on the moor. We eventually wrapped. And then um, we went down, we were staying overnight and we, we, we were in the pub having a drink afterwards and we finally got access to Twitter and it had erupted. It was like they're <laughs> like the sacrificing fire. old ladies <laughs> on the wood show. It's what Lizzie would have wanted. <laughs> it was like, I've just turned on the wood show and they're uh, live cremating an old lady and it was just like this most ridiculous thing. And then there's pictures of me like with these wild eyes trying to deliver a piece to camera in the studio while also dragging her away but it looked almost like I was feeding her to the fire so um, that was kind of my first real taste of live telly and so for me when things go wrong that's like maybe when like humans are broken that's my sweet spot I enjoy um, yeah I enjoy it when things go wrong that's when I come alive which is not necessarily what a producer wants to hear I'm like I'm great when it goes tits up <laughs> <laughs> no I think that's a good that's a good skill to have for, uh, for yeah. live broadcasting but also those moments where things are a bit go a bit crazy viewers love that people love, them. love that stuff so yeah. if you're someone that's yeah. good in that good in that environment doesn't mind can sort of you know play along with it when it's happening and and not get too flustered i think that actually makes you perfect for that kind of thing and people yeah. will remember you yeah. for that stuff people will remember you as the person that oh didn't didn't care that the old lady got set on fire or whatever you know didn't care yeah. that things <laughs> went wrong because that those part. that's way better than being the host or the presenter that suddenly is a bit like a bit too stuffy about it or something or you know just go with it people like it when shit goes wrong yeah, 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 totally. And also I think now because telly is so overproduced and people are quite cynical about what's real and what's been fed and, you know, they kind of pick apart. Much more savvy. Viewers are much more savvy. And so, yeah, to see things kind of, you know, mildly fall apart or go a little bit wrong on live telly, I think is quite thrilling for a viewer as well. People forget stuff. People move on. Like there'll be yeah. stuff, there's so many channels now and stuff on the internet you know, here and around the world, something else will go wrong within yeah. five minutes and, and you get it. But I think also bringing that sort of to a, a wider, you know, 
uh, life, if we can, being able to embrace when things go wrong, in mm. a way, I've almost brought it back to the brand of the podcast, a blank moment, and I didn't plan to do that, that's just, you know, what happens. You, you, you spell it out now. Yeah, oh yeah, I shouldn't, I shouldn't. It's, <laughs> it's the ma- I'm ruining the magic of podcasting. Being able to be okay with things going wrong, I think is actually probably one of the best attributes you can have as a human, and it, it shows... It shows humanity, it shows vulnerability, mm. and also it shows relatability. If you're the sort of person when yeah. you're at work or whatever and things go wrong, instead of getting really flustered, you're like, ah, oh, well, this has gone wrong. I can laugh at myself. I can laugh about it. That makes you so much more relatable to everyone else in that office. That's your job, whatever. Because we're all human. Totally. Things go wrong. And, and yeah. I don't know if it's a British thing, but we quite like things going wrong. We quite like seeing other people doing things going wrong because it's happened to us as well. So... I don't really know where I'm going with this point, apart from when things go wrong, embrace it, part of life, don't worry. Totally, totally. And actually, I think you learn, you know, and it's a kind of cliche thing, you learn more from your mistakes than from your triumphs. Mm-hmm. I do think that's true. And I, I, and I think, you know, I've always thought Americans are really good at that gig, you know, like whether that's in business, it's kind of encouraged that if you're an entrepreneur, you would have a few f- epic failures before you're really respected in that gig. And so, whereas I think here, there's a kind of expectation that you you arrive fully formed. There is no room for failure for mistakes and you don't deserve it if you fuck it up. And actually, I think we need to be more gentle with each other and for a, and to, to gift people the opportunity to, to go again. You know, and not to be ashamed of it, to go, yeah, I had a failed, I had a failed startup or I messed up this show that I did. And actually I learned so much from it. And here we go again. Not that I've ruined my one chance and there's only ever going to be one go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. There'll be other chances, even if it's not in that field or that industry that you might have opened the door somewhere else. Like things will be all right. I feel like I'm a, a sort of Jerry Springer at the end of a show. Now, I like the Jerry vibe. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, it worked for him. Love yourself and one and another. Each other, yeah. No, I, yeah, I was going to say, Angela, yeah. you, you know, we've talked a lot about you being hard on yourself, um, yeah. you know, in this podcast. But I, you're getting to a point now where you're starting to be a little bit gentler on yourself. Yeah. I am. Yeah. Do you want me to talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I am. I kind of, you know, and like I say, it's a kind of, it's it's a habit. It's something, because I did the whole, oh, self-care. And, you know, really self-care to me was a bath that I could, oops, sorry, I'm after running away, um, a bath that I could just hide in. Um But actually, like, you know, being kinder to myself is recognizing the things that I need, asking for them and then being able to enjoy things. So it's much less about a face mask and a spa weekend and much more about taking the time and interest and caring enough about myself to go, I'd really like to enjoy this weekend. What are the things that I do Mm. by default to ruin things for myself and how can I preempt that and catch myself before 
things unravel. Um, so whether that's whether that's work or whether it's real life, and truthfully, it's the real life stuff that's that's um, you know more. There's more to lose. There's more damage to be done. You know, and I think we kind of focus a lot on what we can learn and what we can apply to uh, work, and we are maybe motivated to read the books that will excel us in our work life. If we can then apply that to our uh, real life, I think that's where a lot of our contentment comes from and it allows that kind of sense of you know being enough or being a bit whole kind of spills over into our work life so there's less there's less desperation there's less like need to prove yourself because you're you're actually all right agreed (laughs) that makes sense i think that's i think the idea of checking checking in with yourself uh is a really good idea um mm. in many ways you know in all kind of aspects but that idea of like okay how how do i normally overthink this how do I, how do i normally sort of derail myself do i look at my derail. do i look at my phone am i going to look at my phone too much this weekend okay i'm going to leave my phone yeah. in my room i'm going to leave my phone you know somewhere i can't get it little things like that yeah. actually can make a big difference but just the idea of checking mm-hmm. in with yourself i think is is really important we can like this yeah. year has been crazy and it can and it's flown by and Days and weeks can go by without you kind of checking in with yourself and being like, okay, what have I done to stumble myself a little bit this week? What have I done to help myself this week? And Mm -hmm. I'm talking to someone that, by the way, doesn't do this. You know, I'm a huge hypocrite when it comes to this kind of stuff. But I think that's a really nice way of putting it. And I think that's a really, that, that is useful advice i think reflection kind of and going ah yeah okay i do that i can change that and i think it's feeling instead of feeling resigned to the idea that oh that's always what i do i always do it you go mm, yeah you do but once you're aware of it you have the like opportunity to do something different and that's quite hopeful and empowering you know so I think yeah that's really important but usually only comes with the creating a little bit of space and most of us will will make excuses for not doing that because there's discomfort in it and I've taken to like I meditate a lot and it was something that I have kind of threatened to do for years and tried to do for years I was really drawn towards it but I could never really commit and a lot of that is about self-love and not really going okay like yeah boundaries and this is what I need therefore I'm going to give that to myself and it will impact everything in my life um and so I I think that has been massively helpful for me to kind of create a little bit of space where you can go ah okay yeah that's what I that's what I need and I'm going to actually give myself that yeah Yeah, I think it's really important to do that now Mm, we can't we can't finish the podcast without mentioning your homemade perfect, which is my wife and I's one of our favourite programs. Same, same. <laughs> we love that program. Same. Um, is it as it's fun like to make? Is it as fun to make as it is to watch? It is. It's a great show to make. It is, and it's funny because I, I, I like that came about shortly after I had um, had my daughter, and I was like, oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, I like design. I love interiors, but like, you know. I'm not Kevin McLeod. Um, <laughs> who is? But, who is? Yeah, who is? Um, 
But no, it's been it's been lovely, and they're a gorgeous, like gorgeous team. And um, actually, it's uh, yeah, it's really lovely to see the kind of change in people. You know that you kind of notice them like shrinking into this house that they bought with all of these dreams and aspirations, and it hasn't quite worked out that way for one way or the other, whether it's the house or whether it's the life or whatever it is. And then you see them kind of like swell into this house and the pride and the shoulders are up and it's kind of, you know, the house matches who they have wanted to be on a deeper level. And so it's not just about, you know, moving walls and picking nice curtains. I do think there's, a, I, I, I guess, much like what fashion did back in the day yeah. when Trini and Suzanne and Gok yeah. were doing it. It was like, yes, technically you're putting on a dress and a belt, but in reality you're seeing this person. And again, I sound like an absolute fairy, but I think some of the most emotional moments come when they're presented with the VR, which in itself is like wildly overwhelming because you're in this, like you're literally in your gaff and then the walls are falling away and you're presented with this vision of the future. But I think what happens is the architects have sat with these people, have taken time to get to know them, to understand what they want, what they need, to like observe things that they collect that they might not even know they collect to see like kind of read between the lines Mm. and then to present back this you know solution I suppose but like they're often really moved by having been by those little things being recognised by a stranger. And and it is, it, it's like this connection. Yeah. It's going, oh my God, I can't believe you remembered. Yeah. I just said that once. I can't believe that was a significant thing or that you noticed that about me. And it's kind of like a validation thing. And it's a, yeah, it's like, it's much deeper than I kind of thought. I was like, yeah, a bit of feral ball paint <laughs> yeah. and shift the windows and Bob's your uncle. But actually, um, yeah, it's it's a love, it's a really lovely show. And I think the reason that it works and I think the reason that people love it is because they kind of get to see see the couples, not just here's your budget, here's what you want, Uh, here's a big, you know, produced struggle in the middle where something goes wrong. You don't kind of need to depend on that drama, that jeopardy. You kind of really connect with the the couples and... um, yeah, and some of them are 20K. It's not all like million pound houses, which is beautiful, but that's property poor and it's not real life. This is, I think, allowing people to go, I'm going to ask my builder to do that. Giving them ownership over the places, challenging them and and giving them permission to go, you don't need to live the way everybody lives. Like if you're a bit of a mad egg, yeah, fucking yeah. have a bath in your bloody kitchen if you want. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess, I guess the contestants, like, they probably, they feel seen when the architects are picking up. And like, they feel they seen. Feel seen. Yeah. But my favourite thing about it yeah. is they let, they will give their brief and the lady architect, I, I apologise, for, I forget that. Laura. Yeah. Will, will go away and come back and be like, okay, I've taken what you did here. I've done this, I've done this, I heard what you said, I've done this. And then the bloke architect comes back and goes, well, um, I've done the exact opposite of what you wanted. Yeah. And, and there's always, and can I just, yeah, so there's always bench seating in there. Yes. <laughs> he likes a bench seat, it has to be said. Although, in his defence, 
And like, this is not a night, you know, this is a chat that he very graciously never brings to Twitter when people are giving him shit for bench seating. (laughs) Sometimes that's down to the, no, no, no. (laughs) Sometimes that's down to the like bank of graphics that are on hand to the producer. And like, you know, it's not a cool chat to have because nobody really cares about the bank of graphics. They don't even know who Fluid are, who are like working away in the background. All they want to know is Robert loves a bench seat. Move the bench seat. Also, it's a great, ga- it's a but, great game to um, play at the end. You're like, who are going to go with? And then they go with Robert. Like, they've gone with Robert. Yeah, they've I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did not see that coming. I know uh, it's there's quite a few drinking games (laughs) circulating. Uh, No, my wife's more more forgiving about the bench seating because she's um, she's a trained interior designer and she knows how to use Lumion and Revit Ah. and all these programs that they probably use on the program. So so she kind of yeah, she's kind of said she gets that. It's a slight there's a there's an element of copy and paste. Which in series three there's already a very rich bank of things that have been created that they can then call on for other things. So, but you know that's a more technical thing. So if you're having a bit of a jibber jabber on Twitter, people don't necessarily want to know that. They just want to know that Robert has ran out of ideas (laughs) and he's bought another bench in. I think, I mean, they're both, obviously, they're both very, very talented architects. Yeah, they're amazing. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a lovely show to make. So we're back doing series three. And then there's also your garden made perfect. Oh, my goodness. My wife's so into gardening at the moment. That's Oh, listen, people are obsessed with it. And so it's essentially looking at the garden as a as an extension of the home. Okay. Like, so it's not just landscaping, but it's like outdoor cinemas. And, oh my God. You know, wow. Stay beds. I'm so excited. And, <laughs> mm, <laughs> full shillelagh. Yeah. All of it. So it's, bench seating. So Rob and Laura are still doing the designs for those as well. Have you got, no, 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 different, okay. different team. Uh, yeah. Okay. Currently being put together. Mm. So, yeah, that's going to be, watch exciting. this space. Oh, yeah. yeah, it is yeah. exciting actually. And I was like, in my mind, I was like, Gardens? No, absolutely not. I'm not Monty Don. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, although I do like the garden centre, <gasps> has to be said. Love a garden centre. Love yeah. it. Literally, plants are my porn and I'm on bloody patch every second day buying feckin' cheese plants and trying to keep them alive. I now have a spritzer. It's like a meditation in the morning. I go around spritzing my plants. And so, and I do think there's something... Um, yeah, there's just so much that you can do and the idea that you can kind of bring those things um, to people and give them ideas and allow them to go, oh, okay, I don't actually have to spend that much. I can do this, this and this and create like lovely places where they can hang out with people they love is kind of, yeah, what I'm I, into. I realised yeah, well, like, I, I was officially an adult when I liked olives and garden centres. Oh. <laughs> that was uh, I've arrived. Yeah. Yeah, you've arrived. You've arrived. You've arrived. <laughs> well, I, All you need is an anchovy. I spoke oh, to I a lady called. It. I spoke to a lady called um, Sue Stewart Smith recently. She's written a book called The Well Garden Mind, and it's all about. She's a psychiatrist, okay. and it's all about how much of an impact gardening and being in, in nature basically has on our mental nature, health. Yeah. And um, it's truly fascinating. Worth reading the book, but um, yeah, um, it's incredible the amount. What it does for us, I think, also is like, and particularly we've got children, you can get them to plant a seed and then they see it germinate and it becomes a plant you know it's It's this sense of purpose and this this journey of the flower whatever it might be is just such an incredible thing and and i think you know everyone should really have a a little go at gardening even i know some people don't necessarily have 
um, access to a garden. But even if you've got yeah. like a little terrace or something or a little Well, and garden, this is going to be yeah. a part of the show yeah. is looking at those smaller yeah. spaces where it's even more important to have connection to greenery or nature or bring that yeah. outdoors in or, you know, yeah. yeah, I think it's, it's, and also there's a massive sense of achievement yeah, when you manage to keep uh, like a plant alive yeah. it's quite a novel to me initially yeah, yeah. not as easy yeah, as it so, seems no not as easy as it seems but also I think as a series maybe more accessible because the truth is a lot of people will look at your homemade perfect and go okay yeah like we're not we're not doing anything with our house or we rent but you could go okay yeah we rent but we're able to like do a bit with the outdoors that's enough to like that's worth yeah. spending a few quid that you enjoyed a bit more so well yeah it's good, it's good. my wife's going to be so excited about this <laughs> yay um, well Angela it's been amazing talking to you so lovely oh my and god I feel like I rabbited it no, for it's quite been a while fantastic. it's been so good. now at the end of the podcast we normally ask our guests um how they deal with blank moments and obviously we've talked about blank yeah. difficult moments and if you've yeah. got any advice for our listeners on 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 that how they can deal or get through or process and their so own difficult moments. And so you mean like literally brain fart moments or well, moments when you think I'm just, yeah. that we're not going anywhere here now? We have this brilliant caveat of making it interpretive. So <laughs> whatever um, you want. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so the question is, how do you overcome those blank moments? Well, how do you how do you process them and get through them? What would be your advice? Oh Jesus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, oh God, now I'm suddenly lost for words. Isn't that mad? Um, you having a blank moment? I th- there you go. <laughs> um, I think it's kind of, I think it's, oh, okay. I actually think it's acceptance. Sometimes we are so obsessed with the outcome. We're obsessed with, um, it's supposed to go exactly like this. I have this idea in my head that this, 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 it'll happen. And actually accepting that part, like most of the enjoyment, if you can relax and surrender control and everything else, that the learning comes out of it that the insight that you you learn so much about yourself when you can actually just accept these things as like you know as a bit of a game the whole thing's a game mm. I think you know I'm just realizing that like I don't know my dad has this saying which is really quite grim but also says you could be dead tomorrow and that's a positive (laughs) (laughs) statement FYI but it's basically a kind of permission to go fuck it like who knows what's going to happen and so I think like it's just kind of allowing yourself to stop trying to control everything and there's such a release in the freedom of knowing you've no fucking control over anything anyway so you may as well just go with it like hope for the best aim for a certain thing and then actually accept whatever comes along the way as part of you know what you might need to learn or discover about yourself or about somebody else and that that's that's the gift rather than the hurdle that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And it is a gift. I mean, it's carpe diem, isn't it? Yeah. Seize the day. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was very, very lovely. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really was. Thank you. 
No, thank you so much. Honestly, it's real privilege to talk to you, and um, it's been it a real a treat. Pleasure. Yeah, it's been lovely. Yeah. absolutely lovely to talk to you. So, thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Angela. It's been brilliant. Brilliant to talk to you. Bye. We told you that she was a lovely guest, didn't we? She was a really good guest. Really good. I knew she would be, actually, because, I don't know, you can get there's an energy about Angela, isn't there? You see that on screen, mm-hmm. and you know when she presents and stuff. Um, and it's there in real life as well. And I know she. we talked about sort of, sort of more difficult moments and, you know, and emotions and dealing with stuff. But definitely it was still there, that 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 amazing energy she's got yeah and you know from the start you know from the start of the podcast and we log on and we're sort of sorting out our audio and stuff and mm. i'm late as per you know we're all sort of cracking on um you can tell from the start whether someone's energy is going to be someone you can sort of work with and and you just knew straight away that oh this, this is going to be a breeze she's going to be easy to yeah. talk to and this is going to be great and um you know as a broadcaster that obviously really really helps so certainly appreciate angela turning up and and just just being fantastic to work with, and then obviously giving out some some great advice, and you know the bits mm. about uh, asking for help, you know, connecting to people, just so true, and uh, something that I think we all probably agree with, but also find it maybe hard to do. So that's probably something I'm going to try and work on. I think in the next few weeks, because uh, mm. every time I have reached out and asked for help, things have nearly always worked out. So. Mm. But it's interesting hearing someone like her talk about that as well. So, um, yeah, loads to take away from this week. Yeah, and I think going back to that, I think often when you, the person you're asking to help from, they they like being asked. Yeah, yeah, I think we all do in a you way. Know, so, yeah, I don't think I think mm. that's a human that's human nature. You, we want yeah. to help each other. You like, yeah, you 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 know, if you, someone gives you something, you know, a sense of purpose to do something or help them, I think that's you know, it's a really powerful thing. And Especially I think, yeah. if it's someone close to you as well, you know, that's yeah. uh, what why else are we all here if it's not to connect to each other and to help each other when we can so um, absolutely and it's a very simple thing asking isn't it it's not actually yeah. that the, the physicality of it is not that difficult but uh, emotionally obviously it's more of a sort of a, a hill to climb mm. over but um yeah good good advice there from angela yeah very good and do check out also angela's um brilliant podcast thanks a million she's had some great guests on and it's all about gratitude and having thanks for the things we do and going back to what you're saying about asking for help, you know, it's thanking, thanking those for the help they give you. So yeah, it's a really good podcast. It's worth, worth checking well, out. I've got gratitude to Angela for coming on the podcast. We really yeah. appreciate it. Uh, and that, I think that probably wraps up this week's pod. It does. If you, I mean, if, unless you want to send us a message, we'd like a message. We should probably tell people how they can do probably that. We should have done that in part one, shouldn't we? But, um, Essentially, we're on Twitter. We're unconventional, well, we aren't like we? We're play, unconventional. play by our own rules. Um, we're on Twitter, and our handle is... <laughs> at Blank uh, We're also on Instagram and Facebook, where our handle is exactly the same. At Blank and you can, That's B-L-A-N-K. In, P-O-D. P-O-D. Um, and yeah. you can also email us if you'd like to, to do that. Our email address is... You can, is the blank podcast 2018 at gmail.com. It is indeed. And we look forward to receiving 
any email and because email. we don't get any at all. <laughs> Do people email anymore? I don't, maybe not. I don't. Mm, I get. I don't really get many emails to be fair, uh, work wise. So, um, I mean, if anyone wants to send us a ten, send us a telegram or yes, um, smoke a fax. signal fax. Let's get a fax machine. Yeah, smoke signals. Yeah, that's dear smoke yeah, signal. Any, we'll take any form of communication. Any, yeah, we, we're not fussy. <laughs> Viewers want to shout. Just shout hey. out your window. Jim, we'll Jones, probably hear just it. shout. We're so desperate yeah. for attention. Yeah, so any any kind of communication would be lovely. Indeed. Um, that's it. Ha, that's it. A, thank you so much exactly. for listening, uh, and thank you to Angela for coming on. And have a good week, Charles. Yeah. And you too, Jim. And our listeners. And we'll see you again next week on The Blank Podcast. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.